You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. B2B companies that sell into specific industries need to create messages and content that appeal to customers who care about very different things. Healthcare and financial services, for example, are both highly regulated industries that deal with very different regulations. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. Wayne Bolsowitz works for Simplus, an Infosys company that helps its customers get more out of Salesforce. Wayne and the Simplus team are growing their content marketing strategy by using centers of excellence around specific industries that Simplus targets. These centers of excellence will provide the marketing and sales teams at Simplus with the industry-specific expertise they need to speak to customers and prospects in ways that make sense for how they think and work. In this episode of B2B Nation, we're talking to Wayne about the Centers of Excellence approach, content marketing, experiential marketing, and why newsletters seem to be the marketing vehicle that just won't quit. Wayne Bolsowitz, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, as you said, my name is Wayne Bolsowitz. I am currently the Director of Experiential Marketing at Simplus, which is headquartered in Salt Lake City. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we were acquired by Infosys, and now we're, we are, Simplus runs the Salesforce consulting practice for Infosys in North America and Australia. And I have about 15 plus years in sales and marketing experience at companies of all sizes, from startup to Fortune 50 companies. And I work all day in marketing, trying to create, uh, communicate with our customers and explain what we do at Simplus and how we can be beneficial to them. All right. So sometimes it is easier to show people what it is you do than to tell them what you do, which leads us to experiential marketing. How do you define experiential marketing these days and how do you use it to help drive business? I think marketers give terms to different different types of marketing, which is really just good marketing, right? So maybe one of the experience, to me, experiential marketing means well, if you think about it, we live in an experienced economy. You know, over the last 150 years, we moved from an agrarian economy to an industrial economy to a service economy and now an experienced economy. And customers are making purchasing decisions, not only based on product features, but the experiences that are facilitated. And so I think that when you talk about experiential marketing, you're also talking about personalized engagement, social shareability creating connections between a product and an emotion and creating positive touch points between your customers and your brand. So for me, yes, events is one thing. And maybe the main thing in, in my role at Simplest that I, that I work on that would be under experiential marketing or fall under that category. But I think it's just well, what experiential marketing is, is just creating that connection and those positive touch points between your product service, your brand, and your clients, partners, and potential customers. Yeah, I think a lot of people think about events as an experience, obviously. You think about the sort of experience where you get a walkthrough or a demo Mm -hmm. is an experience, right? Yeah. But like you said, it could be almost anything that you want it to be or that you need it to be to hit the right audience and and create a level of engagement. Sure. And at Simplest, we're really strong in content marketing. Uh, our CMO is really strong in that, and and her goal is to publish a blog a day. That's a lot of content over three or four years on your webpage 
that then you have to think about, well, what's the experience when they, when they read a blog, like maybe there's related articles. So things we built out in the past year that I would throw under experiential marketing is related articles to the blog you just read, how you can find more information, not just hot links, but kind of like a path or a journey uh, would be an experience on your website, right? What's your social campaign? How does that tie into everything? What is your, you know, your ad strategy? So these are all things that we're looking at at Simplest over the next year is part of uh, like a campaign experience. So how do you measure experiential marketing? So you mentioned the blogs, great example, right? You can obviously measure blogs by page views. Um, you page can views. measure them by time on the page. Mm-hmm. What are the metrics that you think really let you know that you made a connection with someone? Yeah, it's just that those are what we're using right now. It's time on page. What we're also starting to do with related articles is see like push through or flow through, like if they've gone from one article to the next, but really just comparing time on page and clicks. And we've seen an increase over the last six months that we've been measuring in time on page when we've been more focused on, you know, we have, we're bog a day. So there's some that are more targeted and we spent more time on and some are maybe we're reviewing like a case study or something we've done in the past. And we don't expect the time on those compared to maybe like a piece where it's more in depth and it leads into an ebook or something like that. So there's more substance to it. So I think you have to weigh what the content on the page is to get the metrics, but definitely you can look at your time on page this year compared to last year, this, this quarter compared to last quarter. And those are metrics that we use to define that. At what point do you find yourself taking those page level data sources and putting them sort of in the funnel? You might think of it that way. Like, how do you tie it back to who is a good prospect? Who should be reached out to? Who should get this information to follow up with a salesperson? Yeah, we're pretty aggressive on our side where we will reach out to everybody who engages with us right away. We have a good inside sales team. So there's really not that much needed from the simplest point of view. But I think a lot of it is also looking to see where, how, do they, how do they find our blog? Was it through um, like a newsletter? You know, another email is another good source of engagement marketing and, and experiential marketing is newsletters. I don't think get the credit they deserve, you know, and if, so if people are consistently following or clicking on links, if you look back and you see that this person has, has engaged on a newsletter, on social, if there's more, if you can find, if you can attribute more than one interaction from a person or a person's sales team, like a same account, then that's, that's a flag. An example I had just not long ago was from a newsletter I sent out and I saw that it was engaged by, from two different people on the same account uh, through my metrics. And so one of them was a new lead to us. They hadn't, they both downloaded a piece of content that was in a newsletter. It was somebody and then that person's boss. So to me, he shared that with his boss and that was intent. And I signaled it to the inside sales team. I'm like, look, this might be worth a call because there was interaction today on this piece of content. And so um, just watching your metrics like that, I think are flags. I mean, they're really indicators. It's tough, right? Because reading a piece of content is not necessarily a, a, an indication of buying it's, uh, from Simplest's content. It's an indication that they're interested in that topic that maybe you can keep. I like to put people into funnels where if I know they read this piece of content, well, I want to put them in a newsletter that talks about that. 
And then maybe when they're ready to buy, they'll remember the name Simplest. Our sales, our inside sales team is going to reach out and see if they're ready right now. <laughs> but if they're not, then we're still nurturing them on the back end, right? That's right. So that's uh, providing that educational content, providing things that are of interest to them, even if it's not a, you know, buy in the next 30 days type of a yeah. situation, there's value. I think most people believe <laughs> in having your name out there because they will be in market at some point. You know, yeah. Like and, and can you build a relationship with them, which is really the goal of experiential marketing of good marketing, right? building that relationship with a customer or potential customer or maintaining a relationship with a current customer, right? Right. So you mentioned Simplus as being tightly coupled with Salesforce, of course. A lot of us in B2B tech think of Salesforce, we think of tracking clients and stages of the sales cycle, but you work with companies who are in manufacturing. That's a topic that we've explored on B2B Nation before. Um, and some other industries, and, and they're using Salesforce in kind of a different way. How do they use it and how can you help them? Yeah, sure. So Salesforce has many clouds. And in, in addition to the familiar sales cloud that focuses on, you know, tracking sales and clients and contact information, but they really, the Salesforce platform is about managing and understanding data and providing a shared view of that data to the different departments in your organization, including sales, marketing, finance, operations, delivery, customer service, and so on, right? So Salesforce works to provide like a 360 view, they call it, of, of data so that your organization can track where your customer is across the life cycle, depending. So everybody has the same view into the same data. You can understand forecasting. So that works for manufacturing. And they even have a cloud called Manufacturing Cloud. And they have other specific industry clouds where they're set up out of the box, set up, configured to problems and solutions and business outcomes inside of those different industries. So what Simplest does is Simplest exists to make complex things simple. Specifically, we our services include advisory. Um, so deciding what CRM is going to be right for you and how it's going to work in your business. Implementation of the CRM, implementation, Salesforce implementation, change management helping your team understand what to do with this new software that they have, these new capabilities, and uh, manage services where we can support your existing Salesforce team and bring maybe some resources that you don't have on staff or hard to hire. That's how we help people with Salesforce is we help take the Salesforce out-of-the-box solutions and help implement them and work inside of your existing environment. And what's the biggest challenge that you face in your marketing efforts? I know when we've talked about manufacturing in the past on B2B Nation, we've heard that, you know, maybe technologically, a lot of the manufacturers maybe aren't, especially compared to the tech companies as up to date in their practices and in their software. Is that one of the challenges you face or are there others that you need to work through? Yeah, no, I think from an industry standpoint, that is something that we definitely face. You bring up a really good point. From an outside point of view, yes, in marketing. And then from an internal point of view at Simplest, one of our biggest challenges is growing and scaling and maintaining, like being able to do this. And that brings up our solution is we have seen that we need to be able to speak like a manufacturer when we're talking to potential manufacturing clients. And then we need to speak like um, a SaaS uh, provider to the SaaS providers in the tech sphere. And then we need to talk, talk healthcare. 
So we've set up what we call centers of excellence and they are um, industry focused. Right now we have three, we have manufacturing, healthcare and life sciences and communications, media and tech. And these centers of excellence are all about having the right message, go to market message inside of those different verticals and different, different industries. So what we've done is we are scaling our marketing teams where each of those have a marketing leader. And then they kind of, they don't write all the content, but they'll help use the general marketing team to help write the content, but they'll direct and they'll work with the COE lead on what are the pain points? What are the biggest um, issues in the industries and how can we deliver content that speaks to how Simplest can help overcome those pain points and, and achieve the required and, and, and needed business outcomes in those fields. So we've gone into personalization because it is difficult. You can't be everything to everyone and people need solutions specific to their industries. And if you were to send out an email that is outside of your industry, you probably wouldn't read it and you'd you'd lose, your brand would lose um, respect or people would be like, why are you emailing me this? Um, it's not even related, relatable to me. So that's one of the things that ways we've kind of, um, we're working on to uh, fix those challenges to talk to people with the language that they're using. Right. Centers of excellence have a somewhat long history in the tech world, I sure. think, when you talk about rolling out a new platform across the business, you put a center of excellence around how it can be used, and then they work at the department levels on you know making the most of it and getting their training done. Um, and marketing, sometimes it's called industry marketing in the past. We were talking sure. about labels before. What kind of people do you look for when you're staffing a marketing center of excellence for an industry? Is it somebody who has a background in say healthcare, who's kind of helping you understand, yeah, here's what the healthcare industry is dealing with and yeah. here's how we're going to talk to them so that the message just makes sense. Yeah. That's where we start with our, I think, I think to build out a center of excellence, you need time, right? But you don't always have time. It's going to take you time to get to where you want. So where we've started right now is our center of excellence leads have that experience in the industry and with um, Salesforce implementation. So they can answer calls from, they can help with sales enablement. They can take calls from um, AEs who are trying to close deals. They can help review uh, proposals and make sure that this is, this is what we want to talk about. They, they reach out to Salesforce and work with the Salesforce partners and the Salesforce industry leads to make sure that we're really have our messaging right. And then I, before my role now, I was the center of excellence lead for CMT. And really my job there was to interview the COE to get the content from him. But I think if you're building out like long-term, I know our plan is to hire a subject, subject matter expert in marketing in CMT, right? Or in healthcare, right? As we show, we prove the value of our center of excellence. We'll have more budget to hire keep some of that writing, not re rely too much on always interviewing somebody from our delivery team or sales team or to, to provide the content for blogs. We'll be able to write it, a lot of the content just from the marketing side. But I think that comes with time where we're six months into it, a year into it, we're growing. We we've added somebody from our advisory practice to, to the COEs to help with write that content. Right now she's doing it for three uh, verticals, 
when, you know, in the future, maybe there's, she's just doing it for one, right? We have different writers for each of those. So that's how we're growing about building our COEs. We started with that expert and then we'll just keep adding marketing and expertise as time goes by. There's always been for years, a lot of talk about marketing and sales alignment. So is your sales team set up in a similar way so that the marketing for that healthcare vertical is you have a healthcare sales team to help propagate that and distribute it. Yeah. Right now we are, we're moving that way. We were geo-based as a sales team before over the past year or the last 12 months, we've added more as we've hired, we've hired more sales uh, AEs that are industry specific and we're in the process of, of kind of moving that way where our sales team will be as uh, industry specific as, as our marketing team or as the COEs are. So that's the process that we're currently embarking in. All right. So Simplest is uh, instituting a lot of change in marketing and growing and working on expanding these centers of excellence. What are you looking forward to on a professional level in 2022? Well, as a marketer, I'm really excited to come up with new solutions to new challenges, like some are saying the death of the cookie, right? You know, I'm looking forward to, and and being a marketer for 15 years, maybe I'm ready for a little change, right? But I'm looking for new ways to solve problems. And I'm, I'm excited that I think, you know, the C-level understands that there's going to be a shift in marketing. One, the, with the pandemic, there's a shift in everyone's go-to-market strategy and just how you need to interact with your customers. You know, you couldn't, you, you just can't hold events the same way you did before. I mean, even as events come back, people are going to want more from them. They're going to want to register easier. You know, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of new challenges that we get to face in 2022 that I'm really excited to, to look at and to see. I'm really excited about some trends in marketing that are happening that I've been personally proponents of for a long time, like maybe getting rid of gated content or reducing the amount of gated content. Like uh, I've always been frustrated about creating something that I love that get stuck behind a wall, right? Like I want to share it with everyone, you know, whether or not it's directly, uh, you know, for them or not, like I, I don't want to keep my best ideas and behind a, a wall and just hoping for a lead to pass on MQL to pass along. Um, I want to, I want people to know it, to like it, to, for it to be good enough that people might want to share it, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but when you really hit a home run with something, maybe people, I, I collect marketing materials. When someone sends me an email that I really like, I have a folder for that so I can steal it later, right? Or, or use the idea of be inspired by it. It's not going to be the same language that I'm sending out, right? But I, I, I'm excited for 2022 and seeing like the innovation in marketing and where my really smart peers and, and creative peers take it and how I can be a part of that. Yeah, that is my, uh, that is, I have found a use case for Google Keep and it is... <laughs> <laughs> take all the interesting marketing stuff and store it there. I used to like, maybe I would download like a PDF paper or something that yeah. interested me. And then I'd go back to it and be like, well, what was like the one paragraph that I downloaded this for? And with Google Keep, right. I can put a link to the paper, but I can also just cut out the paragraph and put it there. And then I don't have to go and look for it. <laughs> Remember yeah. what uh, it was. 
I use the same thing and I use Slack a lot too. I Slack myself stuff. And that's kind of like <laughs> my fault because I don't always have time to do that. So I'll just be like, well, I'm just going to Slack myself something. And then I have like this folder of things. <laughs> I still email myself. If I come across something at night and I'm reading, I'll yeah. email it from my personal account to my work account. And then it goes in keep or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, the gated content versus ungated content. <laughs> that debate's been going on for a while. Yeah. At some level. I feel like it's getting a second look. And I don't know if that's this idea that a lot of lead gen efforts aren't paying off for companies. If it's the idea, like you said, that you've got really smart people, they've got really good ideas and we're kind of keeping them from spreading around because we're putting them behind gates. I don't know if it's pandemic related somehow, but I hear more about that conversation now than I did over the last few years, I think. Yeah, it's something I'm following too. And you definitely have proponents of one or another out there on LinkedIn. Some are pretty vocal. It's kind of fun to watch them. But Yeah, that's the thing about LinkedIn. It's hard to tell if something is really catching on or if it's just that the loudest, voice, loudest voices are yelling at it, right? It's like, okay, yeah. I hear a lot about this, but I'm hearing it from the same three people. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's your echo chamber, folks. Keep an eye on it. Yeah. What is your favorite tool? What is the one thing you cannot work without? We always ask this question. We often ask this question and we always ask people, don't say your phone. But what's the thing that you need to get your job done? You know, it's well, it's really similar to the phone, but it's email. Like I find email is one of the most underutilized marketing tools because it's so basic, right? And I think people are sometimes think they need to come up with a really smart solution to share with their CMO or, or even up to like CEO, but the value of, of email is just with it. You can really sh um, share, you can make connections through email. And I already mentioned newsletters. I'm a big proponent of newsletters. I think newsletters beat, I'm not really into like writing a blog and then send, you know, if, if there's a subscription list and they're subscribing to your blog, I totally support doing that and sending it out. But if you, if you write a blog and then blindly send it out to, to your people, I don't think you'll get the engagement. I know you won't get the same engagement as you will on, on newsletters, but our newsletters are getting like open rates in like the thirties. And that's, that's really good engagement. And, and, and it, it contains all of our blogs, right? So it's just really like our blog recap and it's, we get to use our content in other places. So I think email for me, would be the marketing tool. Like if you just gave me one and said you had to build something from scratch, um, I'd, I'd say email. Email is, and I remember when, when Slack was all excited about introducing the ability to Slack people who didn't work with you outside your group. And one of my now former colleagues pointed out every tool that starts out claiming it's not email ends up going back to being email. Right. Yeah. And, and I think newsletters are very similar. I think yeah. LinkedIn now lets you send newsletters. Well, the whole point of social media was like a constant stream of stuff, not a newsletter, but they're just, they're the marketing tactics that won't die. And, and with good reason, I think the, the morning brew acquisition put a price tag on newsletters that blew people's minds, yeah. but it's, Maybe that right mix of active and passive, it shows up in your inbox, but you don't need to address it right away the same way you do with like the social feed that's constantly filling up and refreshing, right? Yeah. And I know I, I rarely open emails, email newsletters as soon as I get them, but I would say within three days or so, I'm either going to open it or not open it. 
That's a really good point, Mike. And I think that's another, you know, I was thinking about that this morning when I was reviewing these questions and, and they do, they have a shelf life more than, than an email, just reaching out to you. I, how I delete a lot of those, right. That are people are right. sending me trying to get me. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know this. You know, I can tell that it's, you know, your fifth email in a series to me about your product. And, but then like when I get a list of, and I get a newsletter, um, I'm more apt to save it and to see what's in there. Um, so it's so easy to share too. I think yeah. the social platforms have made sharing easy as long as you're going to keep it on the platform. Right. That's right. But yeah. Email doesn't have that proprietary platform to worry about. Email comes in, hit forward, put in the name of the person you want to go to and you share it with them. You don't have to worry about whether they're on the network. You don't have to worry about whether they're active on the network. Everybody's got email. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, uh, there's no money in email. There's money in LinkedIn keeping you on LinkedIn. So that's right. It's, it's yeah. The easiest, most neutral platform for sharing content. I guess. Wayne Bolsowitz, thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks again to Wayne Bolsowitz for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. If you found this episode insightful or interesting, be sure to subscribe to B2B Nation. On the podcast platform of your choice, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks to the B2B Nation team at Technology Advice, including Amy Dunn, Sarah Sanders, KJ Pace, and Emily Whalen. Mnemonics in the Guild wrote our theme song. Have a listen on your way out, and we'll catch you on a future episode of B2B Nation.